The tournament is where Cinderella stories begin, and big wins happen on the biggest stage. With Gambit DC, you could make your Cinderella story a reality. Take advantage of new player bonuses online and in app, or play in person for boosted parlays. You can bet on all 63 games, even if your bracket's busted, and play from the edge of your seat with exciting in-game bets. Make your bets now with Gambit DC. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. Welcome to Tigers SRD with two hosts who always start on second, Chris Brown, never-ending parade of mediocrity, and Roger Castillo. Oh, Roger, you live in Detroit. <laughs> Welcome to Tigers SRD on SportsRadioDetroit.com and the Overtime Media Network. I'm Rogelio Castillo, alongside with Chris Brown, and you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartMedia, Stitcher, and Google Play. And glad you're joining us on a Friday. So we're doing this now. Twice a month, we'll be doing a video aspect of it, breaking down certain things, whatever is going on. And there's also the podcast side of things. So if you are watching us on YouTube live, or excuse me, on YouTube period, find us right here. And thanks for joining us. You can subscribe to us on the Tiger Mind Report channel. And the reason why we got to do a video today is because today we're celebrating two things. One, Tiger's International Signing Day. And two, Lions GM Day. Uh, that part I just threw in there. We're not <laughs> celebrating that at all. There's... It seems like it's a somewhat semi-annual occurrence. But uh, no, it's, you know, Chris, I know that yesterday we're on Twitter yesterday talking about what the Tigers done in the international market in the last 10 years and how it seems the mindset is that we're all getting hyped up for these guys and some the, the return on investment might be for five or six years from now in certain cases. Yeah, I mean, we we've talked about the International Signing Day like going back four or five years now to the, the Alvaro Gonzalez class or the, you know, I'm trying to remember who else they got that year, but uh, yeah, but it's just one of those things where we do the research. We look at these guys, we watch them read the scouting reports and then they just disappear for like at least two years because they always, almost always spend the first year in the, the Dominican summer league. Um, I can't think of anybody the Tigers have ever sent directly uh, to the, to the States. And then after that, it's like, they don't do anything for the first part of the year. And then they go to the Gulf coast league for half a half a year, unless they're super advanced. Like when Sol Perez was a couple of years ago and he eventually made it up to low a, but most of the times, yeah, it's, it's Dominican league, then Gulf coast league. And it used to be the New York Penn league. Now they're probably going to have another season in the Gulf coast league and then move up to Lakeland. And we may, you know, a lot of these guys get, uh, basically get the, washed out before they even make it to high a so that's just one of the things that we you, you expect with these uh you know you get excited a little bit about the the scouting reports and stuff but there's so much baseball ahead of them that we it, you know <laughs> it's it's weird getting excited I, I was we were talking in our thread we had a whole bunch of people in there um we mentioned names like kevin Maiton, who was supposed to be the next uh, miguel cabrera but his body completely changed between the time that I remember was the Braves. That was what got John Capalella uh, suspended for life was all their weird shenanigans with that. And he ended up in the Angels, and he's just kind of a guy now, like not even a real prospect. Um, and Michael Inoa, I remember he was the biggest, he was the most expensive international sign ever, I think, at least from a non-Cuban like you know Cuban, uh, adult perspective, like a you know an amateur kid. And 
I want to, I want to say the A's gave him like $6 million or something like that. This is 10, 12 years ago. And he did make it to the majors eventually, but he was never anything special. He was like a middle reliever. So it's just, it's, these guys are so far away. Now, you know, we've seen a lot of the superstars in baseball, young, young superstars are all kids who signed in the international market, like in the last five, six years, you know, Fernando Tatis, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Ronald Acuna, Juan Soto. If you hit on the international kids, you, you hit pretty hard, but most of them don't ever even, you know, reach double A. Yeah. I mean, here's, I mean, you consider that Ronald Acuna Jr. signed for a hundred thousand dollars. Yep. And then it was the, what was it? You said you want, you said Juan Yipes, right? Is that correct? Uh, Michael, you know, I mentioned, I oh, okay. mentioned Juan Soto um, and Fernando Tatis. Oh, I meant the the same when the Braves signed him, they signed a shortstop by the oh. name, the infielder by uh, Juan Yepes, Y-E-P-E-Z, who signed for pretty much 10 times more bonus. And what did he yep. ever do? He was in the Cardinals organization. That was it. So it's kind of, it's really, it's, I saw somebody yesterday tweet this out. I forgot who tweeted this out that the Yankees, some of the bigger name guys they've signed for bigger bonuses don't pan out, but some of the smaller ones, there were five digits or more, just five digits or less, or the yeah. smaller bonuses work out better. Yeah, I think that's Robert James who said that. Yeah, Robert James. Yeah. It's just so hard to project 16 year olds. And in many cases, they're signing these kids when they're 13 or 14. And it's, it's just impossible to. I don't want to say impossible, but it's just, I can't imagine projecting what a kid's going to look like five, six years down the road. It's just, it's really hard. And that's, like I mentioned Gregory Soto. I think Gregory Soto signed for 15,000 or 25,000, something like that. He's been one of their few success stories. And, you know, he's, he's a hard throwing reliever. It's nothing crazy, but still, I mean, you get a player of the bigs, that's a, that's a, a good job. And yeah, but they, they gave like, you know, million dollar deals to other guys and they can't play baseball. It's 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 getting different than it used to be. It used to be where these players would get judged basically on in, in a showcase setting. So they would go and throw as hard as they can and take infield and take batting practice and stuff like that. And, and there's more uh, tournaments and actual games and stuff like that. So you can you can see these kids playing now. And in, in that case, some of the it's getting a little bit better, I think. And there's some guys who are getting signed to bigger deals than they, they would have before. Like Juan Soto, probably 10, 15 years ago, wouldn't have got a, a 1.5 million because he, he's not like a super athlete, but he was in some games and they saw like, hey, this kid, you know, he's got a good approach and he can hit. And, uh, you know, he's one of the best players in baseball now. The reason why I was kind of focusing on 2014 is because right now I'm finishing up a piece on the Tigers draft class of 2014. And so I've been doing some research and I was looking at some of the international signings then too as well, just to kind of get a flavor for everything. Another one that came up that I saw was Roberto Balquin. Do you remember him at all? Uh, Roberto Baldequin, I think his name is. Yeah. Is that, mm-hmm. yeah. I remember the name. I don't remember anything else about him. So he signed for $8 million, which was they, they spent like they, I guess that Jerry DePito, who was the general manager, was so made sure that he was like, you know, this guy's going to be the next thing. Mm-hmm. He is, he's in double A. He's still in double A right now, posting a 74 WRC plus. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. like I said, it's, it's just really hard. We don't, I mean, it, like I said, it's always nice to get more prospects in your system. The Tigers, I think we've got them down for six guys with the, the baseball America has written about. Um, 
but you never know. You never, you don't know any, it, it, you know, for years and years, they signed, uh, seemed like 20, 30 guys a year and most of them didn't do anything. And every now and then when they got a guy who hit, they, you know, they moved him before he got really good. Like Willie Adamas and, uh, Eugenio Suarez is kind of the, the most, uh, painful one. But even, you know, Avi Garcia ended up having like a four win season for the White Sox once based on Babbitt, but whatever. Well, you know, what's funny is like the, you, you want to get a real kind of a feel for the international class of 2014 as an example. And it, to me, it's kind of really sad that the number one guy, according to MLB pipeline and baseball America, number nine and minor league, uh, Dermis Garcia, Dermis Garcia, yep. yeah, Dermis Garcia, highest levels, high a, Number two was Nelson Gomez at third base, and he same thing high or low A. Adrian Rodon, number three, Baseball America. He was number one, shortstop A. It, you know, it is it isn't it's not exact science, and I understand what Mark Gurash on Twitter was talking about that we all get excited for it, but at the same time, realistically, we look at the Tigers' past, we look at the pitching. I mentioned too in the Motor City Bengals part of it, but. It is good to see that the, the Tigers did pick up a pitcher in in this signing, Chris. I mean, there this is it seems like this is the first time in a while they've got a pitcher that they've you know signed. Got an interesting name. Yeah, he's got a really interesting name. I mean, rolls off the tongue similar to mine, Rainer Castillo. So this is <laughs> he's a Dominican Republic right-handed pitcher, and he is six foot with those in the low nineties, and he's got the physical projection through throw higher. Excuse me, throw harder. So there's some, if you go to Chris's article on motorcybangles.com, we've tweeted out a few times and yeah, you can check it out and this stuff looks pretty good. And you know, yeah, there's some few of them. I, I, oh, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, listen. What could you, could you hear that playing through? I could hear it in my headphones. I didn't yeah, I did. Yeah. I, did. Yeah, I played it through. I mean, yeah, that's my bad. Go ahead. I, I was, no, I was just watching the video of, of him pitching. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's interesting. A kid with a good arm. He's got a, what looks like a pretty good curveball. I, I wonder about their physical projection. He looks like he's already kind of in an adult body. It, it might be able to get him, uh, like, you know, lean him up, I guess. But I don't know if he's going to get much bigger and taller. But I think they signed him for, what, a half a mil? Half which a mil, is, that's correct. Yeah, which, like you said, it's it's really unusual for him to and put out much money for pitchers you know they don't tend to go after any pitchers in, in the international market or when they do they kind of wait they get guys like uh like on held the jesus who i think they signed when he was like 18 rather than he was 16 there you go i didn't think about this too i should get rid of that yeah there we go there you go yeah so you can see i think that was uh that was the curveball i think that, that looked interesting yeah there he goes show it again yeah, yeah i mean that's that's promising um, and hopefully, but like I said, I think you can kind of see, he doesn't look like he's like, he's not one of those like real thin guys. He looks like he's, he's pretty well built and, you know, decent frame shoulders are, are you know, average, but he's got a, you know, got a big base. We like to say with thick, thick, butt, um, <laughs> big thighs. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's high waisted. Yeah. Well, you got that drive, especially when it goes to the drive down where you mm-hmm. push his front foot, you know, he's, he's got some leverage behind it. So and tend sometimes it seems like to be with like Dominicans, it's kind of like they're thin on top a little bit, but they start putting muscle on, but it's always like thick legs. And there's a good example of that right here. And yeah, I mean, he looks, he looks interesting. And then they got the two shortstops, uh, 
you know, as we we're discussing, and one of them is named Abel Bastidas, and I keep, I keep thinking like, oh man, he's gonna about uh, Abel, and people are gonna call him Abel Bastidas. <laughs> but he, he, they signed him for like one point seven or one point one seven or something like that, and. and I mentioned in the article, it, it, for whatever reason, MLB Pipeline's scouting reports are just crazy positive, like ridiculous. Like, hey, this guy's got a chance to have five plus tools. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like I, I mean, it, occasionally it happens, you know, like Ronald Acuna, but uh, and Tatis, but like, I don't, I don't think the guy who they rank 26th on their top 30 for this year is going to be a five tool shortstop. Who knows? I mean, what do they compare him to Carlos Guillen and who I think he trained with? And uh, who else? Oh, they said he's smooth like Omar Vizquel. Yeah, Omar, so, yeah. a young I mean, Omar Vizquel. Yeah. So, you know, I remember it just, it's what, what whenever you make comps, this is, you, you kind of go for the, the, the top. I remember when the draft was four or five years ago, he's maybe longer than that. They were talking about, it was the draft with, with Dancy Swanson and, Brendan Rodgers and, and Alex Bregman, and they were comparing Dansby Swanson to Alan Trammell. It's like, are, oh I, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I kind of get it, but come on now, man. Like, don't <laughs> you're putting a lot of, on these kids' plates? You know, there's some physical talent here with this Bastidas kid, and uh, you know, it, hopefully he lives up to it. But you know, baseball's hard. It's, it's more than just looking at a kid and saying, "Oh, he's got these tools." Just gotta gotta be able to deal with failure, and gotta be able to see pitches and just, you know all, all the stuff that goes into being a professional baseball player. Not to mention adjust to a di- completely different country. I mean, you're, you're changing yeah. your entire life and what you've known all your life to go and go hang out in a small town in the middle of the Midwest. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean that was the movie sugar did a great job yeah. of showing that. Right. I mean, that was one of the things I liked about that most was, was showing how hard it is to, to adjust to a different culture. Yeah. And to me, ultimately what's going to happen here is that for, for Tiger fans out there, it's just, we're trying to make sure that it's, it's keeping things in perspective as much as possible. And in, in case in point, in terms of getting scouting video, we look at Carlos Emilio Elgrin, who is the Cuban, which is the, the Tigers third, or believe the fourth Cuban in the last five or six years that they signed. And here's what you're working with here in a sense that you are, imagine, for prospects live, some of the things I have to do is look at videos such as this. And what it, it to me, you can't really gauge anything. But as you said, you said yourself, this is kind of fuzzy. Fuzzy type of work. Yes, look at this. I know it's well. It's you know it's like watching baseball in an aquarium. <laughs> but oh, like, you know, but yeah. I mean, this is one of those things where we're confirming that this gentleman exists. Yeah. I, I mean, we think it could be somebody else. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, you see, hey, he's kind of tall and skinny, and he had a home run apparently, and he's taking his time going around the bases. And yeah, that's well, not all we have. And looks like, I can't even tell what shoes he has on. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's basically like taking a high school sophomore and, and drafting him. You know, given a high school sophomore, one and a half million dollars. And I, I mentioned there's a kid named Luke Lito from Michigan who is uh, out of one of the Portage schools, I think. And two, three years ago, there was talk about him being one of the top five, ten picks in the draft because he's, you know, this shortstop with a strong arm and he can hit the hell out of the ball. And 
you know, up until this last summer, he was still considered probably like a first rounder, but he had a terrible showcase circuit and people question whether he can take a shortstop and they don't know if he's going to be a good pitcher. And, and so now it's like, he's probably not going to get drafted. He'll probably go to school. I think to LSU, it's just, it's just the way it goes. I mean, you, you can't tell how a kid's body is going to go from age 14 to age 18. It's just really hard to tell. Like Fernando Tatis got $700,000 and then the White Sox traded him for James Shields. Like if they had any idea how good he was actually going to be, never would have done that. He would have got, first of all, he got about $10 million, but that's just the way it goes, man. Sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes uh, you don't. And we even, we haven't even talked about Christian Santana, who was their, their big money signing, right? He got about $3 million, I think. Yeah. He got $3 million and there he is. Yeah. Well, no, well, that's uh, wrong spelling there. Cause I've seen it spelled two different oh. ways. Mm-hmm. So I've seen this. This is the baseball America version or spelled rather. This is the way mm-hmm. it's supposed to be spelled. And you know, the, the thing about he got just under $3 million or excuse me, under just under $3 million. And the, he was the one that was predicted to have the five tools. And there's also there, we also have video for that too. And we'll get to that in a second. And Chris, what can you tell anybody? He, we know he's a rel- relative of one Winsiel Perez, correct? Yeah, he's his cousin, apparently. And he's a guy who I think, you know, I was talking about how how uh, players used to get judged basically on on their showcase performances and their tools and stuff. He's a guy who I think fits into the category more of a guy who can hit. They, they, they project him to hit pretty well. And he's not necessarily like super tooled up. I think at Fangraphs, they actually compared him to Placido Polanco, which would be, I think Tigers fans would be super happy with a, a Placido Polanco type player. It's just, you know, you see him sign as a shortstop and you think, all right, you know, this is a shortstop of the future. But if he can hit, that's good. And and you, you figure out where he can play later. I mean, that's kind of what, what we thought with uh, Winslow Perez is, like, hey, this kid's going to hit and he's going to be a shortstop. And then now it looks like he's maybe not going to hit, not going to have any power. It has to play second base. So it's, it's, and that's after he looked like a top 10 prospect in the system. So it's just, there's so long to go for all these kids. But I mean, I don't know. This, Santana looks pretty good to me. Um, but again, like if this is this is not in-game action or anything like that. It's just him taking BP. Yeah. Looks like he's got a nice swing, but it's all it's all fat, it's all fastballs down yeah. the middle. I mean, there's nothing been I can't tell anything that's been off speed yet. So no, it's it's I mean that's just you're 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 taking bets and, and you know, lottery tickets on these kids and, and you hope it pays off. And I mean I think Santana I think the grade of gave him would put him somewhere between like 15th and 25th, which is fine. I, I, I don't, you know, hesitate to rank anybody who's never played, but we, you know, we did it with Roberto Campos too, because just what you do with these kids, you, you don't want to look foolish for leaving somebody off and then they have, you know, they blow up. But even we've talked, I mean, there was a lot of helium for Jose de la Cruz, who was one of the two big standings, what, three years ago now? Yeah, three years ago, yeah. And uh yeah, yeah. I mean there's there's information out there to point to him being pretty good. But again, hasn't hasn't even played in rookie ball in under the States yet, I don't think. So I mean, in, in as far as we knew for a long time, all Roberto Campos was was a myth in an article we found randomly on Orlando in the Orlando Tribune. Yeah, yeah. And that was yeah, that was some brother some sleuthing on that part on my part just yeah. to find that. And that was an art, and that was an article where he was even at that time. This was when he was fourteen years old. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, no, it's it's kind of 
it shows a little bit of what the Tigers are, or some news of the Tigers, because everything else has been, again, uh, quiet, very, very quiet. As you know, I, I, I like Coder C. Berhagen's article um, about catchers and, and the game, the value of catchers, and it seems, seems like the Tigers have taken their time about that. And I think either, be, I think we're going to see in the next week announcer who's going to be announced who's going to start this catching. But I, I still, I'm going to stick with this, Chris. I just think give give Jake Rogers every chance to gain that job. And if they're going to, and, and I saw that too, that Miggy, Miguel Cabrera, I think, was in the free is taking some reps at first and the, the hype videos are coming. So here we go. And honestly, Chris, they might just, you know what they might do? They might just seriously Brady's at third, Candelaria at first, give occasionally a day off to, uh, for Cabrera to play or Candelaria a day off because he was having some back issues. Mm-hmm. Back issues, you know, never go away kind of thing. And put Cabrera at first base. Who's your second baseman? You could go to him. Yeah, I think I think that we'll probably move a whole bunch of guys around on the infield. I, who knows, man? You know, I was remembering when the Tigers signed this fielder, and I was like, oh, "You're gonna put Miguel Cabrera at third? And no, then they had like two of his best seasons ever. Um, so, you know, if he wants to get on there and play first, fine. And like I said, I've said, I think I've said it before. You know, if he gets hurt again, I don't know if that's necessarily the worst thing for the Tigers. Uh, it's not great for Cabrera, but. You know, they can recoup some money probably from insurance if he gets hurt. But I don't know. I, I just, uh, yeah, I, I, catching still does seem like a big hole to me based on who they have. You know, they don't, they, we like Jake Rogers. It seems like the Tigers don't as much as we thought they did, but maybe, I don't, who knows what happened last year. It, and if they give him a chance and he gets the starting job, then that's awesome. But I don't know. Hey, yeah, it's just weird. It's hard to know where the Tigers think they have holes. I doubt they'll get another outfielder. I still think they'll probably go after another pitcher, but it's like, are they going to get an infielder and a catcher? I don't know. Yeah, and now even with the start, possible no starter, Corey Kluber, speaking of pitching, I wanted to mention that a little bit, that Corey Kluber threw for in front of people, uh, I believe it was Tuesday or Wednesday, and was throwing low 90s. I guess he impressed a lot of people enough to where immediately the Yankees and Mets were tied to getting him and but he's asking for $8 million, which is, if you think about Corey Kluber, two-time Cy, Cy Young award winner, that mm-hmm. isn't much. And this is according to social media, of course, but you know, Chris, look, if you're going to, I know he probably wants to go to a contender. I, the Tigers are a few ways, a few years from doing that, be it, be that as it may. And I, I look, I think Corey Kluber would be perfect for this rotation because it gives them a fighting chance. But then you put Kluber in the front of the rotation and you have Boyd, who's going to be Boyd. You're going to have Daniel Orris kind of in that bullpen swing role. It's a much more interesting team with Kluber on the, in the rotation. Yeah. And, and that's the sort of thing where, you know, like you said, he probably wants to go, go to a contender, but if you're the Tigers, you know, I know teams don't really think like this, but like, yeah, what if we just give him 12 million or 10 million and uh, with the intention to trade him? And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You lose the money. If it does work out, you trade them to the contender when you can and try to get something out of him. I mean, and if he's pitching like you hope he does, then you might be able to get something nice for him because, you know, adding a frontline pitcher at the deadline would be pretty sweet. And obviously, you know, teams like years of control and younger players and all that stuff now, but it's it's a situation where you could just spend some money to try to get a prospect later and it backfire on you for sure. But that's just not the way that it seems like to use the money like these days. 
Yeah, and I don't know. Like, it would be nice to see where they're going to go with that too, because they haven't indicated any other type of pitcher outside of the the, the initial signing of Jose Arena, and beyond that, it's been kind of relatively quiet. But in terms of another team making some noise over the last couple of weeks, the last week or so, I was just trying to think about like the, the once again the Giants just doing smart things that they signed Alex Wood, one year, three million dollar deal, of course. Alex would mean that probably was not going to come here based off the fact that he wasn't too big fan of AJ Hinch, hmm. but yeah, it, but the giants, man, I'm telling you, Chris, they have had a really good off season. They're just doing little things to fill the, the spots. And they, they also signed a former tiger prospect, Jose Alzacar to a minor league deal or whatever yeah. that's worth. Um, I thought, back. Did, did they, I thought he went to the Padres. It was the Padres. So, I mean, it was the Giants. I'll double, double, double check that right now. But so but yeah, far, Gi- go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I say the Giants have to have done. It's a very interesting thing. They're basically just signing guys, a bunch of guys, to one year deals, cheap one year deals, and then, and they're like, you know, they're guys who are going to make them better this year, but also guys that they could potentially move if things uh, don't work out. And it's I don't, I don't know. It just seems smart. Like what who they get? These Glafini, also, uh, along with Wood and. You know, they it gave Gosman the uh, qualifying offer, I think, right? Yeah. So and yeah, they they gave Castelli, who we, I wanted, but you were the right, You're correct. It was the Padres. My my bad. It was the Padres, not the not the Giants. So yeah, here's who they signed so far. So you mentioned Castell Castelli, who they signed in on January fifth. Yeah, the pretty much they love ex red pitchers, of course, but the they signed uh, Anthony Discafini on the seventeenth back last month. But it's just like in Justin Smalley too. Um, well, he actually, he signed to play Japan, so that was something that. Say so Justin Smollett? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, Justin Justin Smollett or um, what? yeah, he signed in Japan. Okay, yeah. Justin Justin. <laughs> Sometimes I realize how much I listen to Drew Mike podcast, and it kind of rubs over <laughs> a little bit. But uh, when I was sorry, no, go ahead. But when. You know, when the whole Jesse Smollett thing happened, the Jesse Smollett, I think, is what they should call him. We went and I went to the street in Chicago, like that August. And we were right by where all that stuff supposedly happened. So I went down and, and I, I walked this path and I was like, all right, this kind of this happened. <laughs> Did you go in that subway? I found it, I think. There were some subways. <laughs> I had two of them on their own my phone somewhere. But, I think I remember you. Didn't you send me a picture from that? I, I probably did. Yeah. <laughs> that, sounds, <laughs> that sounds familiar. But yeah. so the other thing I wanted to get to today, uh, I know that this is not totally random, but just because you and I are both Michigan basketball fans, Michigan's off. And just it, the fact that they're, it's not even like they're beating people, they're just beating the doors off people. That Wisconsin win was one of the most impressive wins I've seen in a long time. Yeah, man, I, I don't know. It's it, it feels like unreal at times. You're like, what? How are they beating this team by 40 points? And, and I, I feel like if they played that game again, Wisconsin would keep it closer. It seemed like they were missing a bunch of threes early. But Michigan, they they play such good defense. It seems like, and then they also just have like six or seven guys who are just really good, and they can all score. They can all pass. They can all like they're just really talented. And you know that everybody loves the Hunter Dickinson kid, the freshman. You know the twenty, I think he's twenty, uh, twenty-year-old center. 
and he's been great, obviously. But the, the two transfers was awesome. It was that Mike Smith, the guard from I think Columbia or Princeton, and then Sean D. Brown, who they got from Wake Forest. Those guys have just been really, really strong. And then you got Franz Wagner, who is like kind of amazing multi-purpose player, and Isaiah Livers. Yeah, I mean they just have a lot of talent, and uh, I assume they're going to lose here at some point, and they're going to have a dud of a game, but. I mean, this is a lot better than than I expected they would be. And I, if people were digging up the, the old uh, Mike Valeni, when they hired Joan Howard, Mike Valeni from 97.1 had a big hot take about how it was the bet of a hire. And people are like, eh, eh. Look, laughing at that now because it's like, you know, a top three team. They've got the number one recruiting class coming in. And yeah, so it looks pretty good. It's, it's a good time to be a Michigan basketball fan, that's for sure. You know what? I know that sounds like a reference that some people may or may not get, but for whatever reason, uh, Tony Brown reminds me of a little bit like when I when I first saw him, it kind of reminded me of um, the former Spartan, uh, uh, I, a Green. Draymond Green? Yeah, it kind of reminds me of him a little bit. And okay, Originally, the, the reference I was referring to, my brother and I were, were texting back and forth. And for whatever reason, I go, why does he remind me of Orlando Woolridge? Oh, and, oh there you go. Yeah, like rest in peace, by the way. And oh. he's like, Orlando Woolridge. He's like, maybe Draymond Green. I'm like, all right, maybe Draymond. I mean, for whatever reason, it's just because he just, the way he dunks the ball, like, well, Orlando Woolridge, when I remember when I was a kid, just would like, just dunk with authority. I remember, and, didn't he, he wear goggles? Yeah, he wore, he wore those, he had those specs, the rec specs. Yeah. I don't know if you ever played basketball with anybody that read rec specs, rec specs. Wasn't that what Kareem wore for a while? Yeah, but they, but the, his were more defined, more, oval if you will but mm-hmm. the rack specs to me are always like the square ones when i think of rack specs they have a definite look to them and it's so funny to me when i when i think of like in grade school you have that one kid that has them and it was very rare we didn't i don't know about you but i never really ran into it too much but it was always we always giggled about it and i don't know why we did i thought like because you look at me like you look at kareem he, like i'm going to show you like the the, the difference between yeah. the the kareem ones i've looked at it Woolridge looks like he's going to do like a science experiment. I'm looking at his <laughs> like safety goggles on. Yeah. So yeah, the, the, yeah. the Korean ones, I remember those well, but. I mean, Kurt Rambis, though. Kurt Rambis had the best. I mean, look, look at Kurt Rambis right there. Black, like, black glasses. Yeah. Yeah. But like, yeah. Uh, 50s NASA worker. <laughs> but no, seriously, find the one of, yeah, find, find the one of Woolridge because he looks like, he, I swear to God, it looks like he's about to like, you know, get some beakers out and, and, uh, you know, blow up the lab. He does. Let me see if, if, if it's what I'm thinking of here. So, oh, there he is. His Pistons days. Yeah. <laughs> like what? He looks like you know. He looks like there's an episode uh, Star Trek with Sp- uh, Spock has a similar kind of look to him. Yeah, it's uh, man. He was you know, muscly. Yeah, was muscly yeah I remember. I remember him being like you know he could jump Duncan. I used to confuse him with Orlando Blackman. I think just because of the names Orlando and Rolando. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> well done. That's what I thought of like as soon as I saw yeah. that. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, on the video side of things, if you're, if, by the way, the YouTube link will be featured on the podcast. So <laughs> you, know, you can have this, the visuals of what we're talking about. Cause right now, if you're listening to podcasts, you're like, what the hell are these guys talking about? But <laughs> no, I just want to talk about Michigan basketball for a second because obviously with the Tigers not doing much, and you and I are both Michigan 
basketball fans. And it's just, it's good to see after the football, whatever the hell that was football season. Like honestly, after like week five, I was just like, I'm, or whenever that all those COVID cancellations started happening, I was, I was out. Yeah. I think, uh, I don't remember which team it was that was murdering the Michigan football team where I was like, yeah, all right, that's enough for this year. Maybe Wisconsin. <laughs> Did they get murdered by Wisconsin? Yeah. They got murdered yeah. by everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It isn't just, they're no good. It's bad news over there. I mean, they only hired Mike Hart, but I don't know how much how much a, a young running backs coach can do. And I, I was talking with my brother, and it just it feels like Jim Harbaugh isn't there. Like whenever I see an interview with him, it always seems like he's just like elsewhere, like somewhere else in his head. And I'm like, what? He doesn't seem like the coach is going to fire you up, get you ready to go out and, and compete. And I don't know. Just this, Michigan football is just kind of a disaster. So it's nice to know. A Fab Fiber, who I grew up watching in, in Levin, and uh, you know, and you know, have a good team and some good young players coming in. It's exciting for for those of us who enjoy that. Yeah, it's just I feel like constantly it's just him. him just he just looks out there and he doesn't. He's got ten mile stare. You know, it's just like yeah, exactly. hundred yards stare. Sorry, like just looks out there and I'm Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Justin Diamond. Yeah. Oh man. Who, by the way. Was is in the hospital because he has cancer. Yeah, stage four apparently. Yeah, he was hurting all over. Poor guy. Yeah. Man. So he was. He had some. I was looking at what he said about not being part of reunion. So, but at, at any rate. So the last thing we want to get to real quick, and this is kind of a quick overview, and I want to talk about a team that to me was a team that I was the first time that I dealt with failure at a large level and. Allow me to explain a little bit. And that's the 1989 Detroit Tigers, because this is a team, Chris, that when you look at some of the names on paper, you you almost like, oh, wow. There's some like if you're you're a fan of 80s baseball, some of these names will sound familiar to some. If I to to most of people, the younger people are just like, what the hell are you talking about? Because one of those things that I've noticed in the last couple of months, just on Twitter. And overall, it's like my age. I'm starting to feel my age a little bit when people are mentioning things. I'm like, who's that? What is that? Oh, oh. I'm like, oh, I'm like, I don't want to be that guy. So, Do a Lipa. Yeah. <laughs> who's that? Why is she on the Rolling Stone cover? But I actually know who she is. But thanks to my wife and just trying to pay attention. But it's, it's a lot to keep up on. I mean, it's just come on. So anyway, hard to know what the kids are doing, especially when like their biggest celebrities are YouTubers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Like my son will talk about certain rapper or somebody on YouTube. I'm like, I mean, I'm I'm on you. I'm on the platform right now. As you're watching this, you're thinking yourself like, it's just there's a lot to keep, but it's just a lot of people too. It's uh, some of the things that you know you hear like the the how many people in Hollywood are complaining about just reality TV is cheaper to make. Simple as that. And you can get a YouTube star, and they're gonna provide like Logan Paul and all these people and just is what it is. It's just a crazy time because attention spans are so quick. So which is why we're going to eat quickly through the 1989 Tigers roster and the Tigers. This is a team like I was mentioning. This is the first time they lost a hundred games. I want to say since I want to say it was 75. Like 75 yeah. 75. It was just and, the third time, third time in franchise history that they lost a hundred. Yeah, and this, like I said, this, the names of names of people that you see on this team that Sparky Anderson tried to plug and keep the team going, it was, he did what he had to do, but this was a team that, yeah, I'm telling you, Chris, I thought it'd be better, 
but it wasn't. And for what it's worth, though, the the starter, like the ERA among the pitchers, actually, 4.53 wasn't even that bad compared to speaking the 1996 Tigers that we've talked about a couple times. But let's start really with the overview of the fact that Jeff Robinson, who they'd spin from Mickey Telton, was in this rotation. Kevin Ritz, the, the the future, if you will, in the rotation, who got some, we got somebody was on Twitter, was like, oh, God, I was talking about Kevin Ritz. Kevin Ritz. Kevin Ritz. And Mike Henneman also, like, just a, being the best pitcher among the staff, like 11 and 11 and four, area 3.70. But also, it's the last year, Willie Hernandez. This is kind of like, this is the swan song for Willie. It's a, a swan song for a lot of the, the, yeah. of the team. And it's interesting to look at to know why this is kind of like the the last before the the rebuild because the rebuild was there really a rebuild, Chris? I mean, if you look at the teams in the early nineties, it seemed like they were this allowed them to pick Tony Clark. Yeah, it, I wouldn't call it a rebuild the way we consider rebuilds now because the rebuild that they made in the early nineties was mostly great, right? Settle ten, Phillips, or free agent signings. Um, yeah. You know, or, Cecil Fielder, Rob Deere, all those guys, they, they turned their offense into this kind of juggernaut shortly thereafter, but they never, I mean, I'm trying to think of prospects who came up back then that we talked to them before, like Milt Tyler had one good year. Ryman came up, he was a good, uh, but beyond that, I'm trying to think, I, I don't remember anybody else who came in and out. Bill Nevin, maybe? Briefly? Yeah, there was, Chris, you mentioned a good point. This was the last time that a team would do like the Tigers would do a draft or excuse me, build a team like this, which is on the fly with free agents and try to keep the, you know, going because until Randy Smith came along in 95, that's when they kind of went, okay, scouting, rebuilding, what have you. Cause even if you look at the, the guys who drafted in 89 on that summer, Greg Gore, I mean, you, you can vice president, Greg Gore, <laughs> you can, his claim of fame. Well, they got him. They, they got Damien easily out of them. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Paul Carey. The f- that was the next pick in the fourth round. Wasn't he an and announcer? Paul Carey? Oh, no, you're thinking of, uh, no, he was, he was a Tigers announcer. But, but, what, th- what am I thinking of? You're right. But I can't remember. <sighs> Sorry, yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> it's all right. I was just joking. Yeah. I didn't make the derail us with the joke. No, it's okay. Um, Oh, who the hell in Miami Miracle? Miami Miracle? Sounds like a MLS team or something. Miami Miracle? Uh, no, it's just, it was, was, there was a pick. The Tigers pick in the fourth round of that year was a, oh, to clear that up. Anyway. Oh, yeah. This was the last time. And this is, this is the last time where you saw a team that was built like this. It wasn't really a, um, I don't know. It wasn't a proper rebuild. It was just building on the fly because Sparky did not want to have Sparky want, always want to have a veteran team. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and in a lot of regards, it was just kind of the, the, the dying breath of a lot of the 84 guys, really. I mean, there's still a, a bunch of familiar names on this team, but a lot of them were, were basically done for. Yeah. And Fred Lynn, former, I mean, you think of a Boston Red Sox. You don't think of him as a tiger, in 1989. Damn near won the triple crown one year. Yeah, he was, in his peak, he was such a great yeah. player. But this is Parky. This is an attempt for Sparky to kind of plug in veterans. And another guy that people are familiar, may be familiar with for that period of time is Rick Shue. Mm-hmm. Rick Shue was a guy who was 
more known known in the National League. He was a Philly. Yeah, some of these names that I mentioned, you probably people don't even want to talk about. Oh, Gary Ward, his son was a Brewer. Daryl Ward. Yeah, Daryl Ward. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Daryl Ward. Yeah, yeah. He was Brewer. Okay. And you know who's also on this team? Ken hmm. Kenny Williams. Yeah, the Kenny Williams. Of the White Sox. Yeah, Kenny Williams. Well, like the who's who among this team. Like Kenny Williams was on that team. What's up? Yeah, I man. That's what the offense itself. I know it's it's kind of an interesting group because you had Lou Whitaker having one of his better years actually, and they had yeah. they had four four players who were above average, I guess, but three of them did it with defense mostly. So Lou Lou was a five point three one player when he was like you say he was he was thirty two hit a career high twenty eight home runs. Um, and one of the things I wanted to look up and I didn't was how many times a one hundred loss team has had a guy with uh, five plus WAR, basically like getting close to of all the wins. I'm sure it's happened before. I wonder I, that one year Grinky had like a two more season, but yeah. But after after Lou, it was like Sam and Mike Heath and Gary Pettis all got most of their value from defense. And and this was you know two years after Hamill was a legitimate MVP candidate. He, he hits two forty three with five homers. Like they're clearly injured, right? Uh, so it's just it's just like the confluence of all these injuries and guys getting old. And you know Mike Heath was. I mean, this is two years after Matt Noakes, right? Matt Noakes was like a year after. Oh, year after. And, I think it was a year. It was a year after Matt Noakes, right? Okay, because yeah, Matt Noakes that really crazy rookie year. Um, and and yeah, Heath Heath was thirty four and hit two sixty with some homers playing three defense defense. That was like, hey, he's a, a catcher. That, that. Gary Pettis, super fast, uh, good defensive and and uh, field. But, you know, he hit two fifty seven that year. He was he was good at walking too, which was nice. Won his fourth Gold Glove. That year, uh, it's fun winning a gold glove on a team that loses 102 games or whatever. But uh, and then he, they got him from, um, from the Angels for Dan Petrie, right? Yeah, that's yeah, it's part of the Dan Petrie deal, correct? And then I think Petrie was back the next year. So, but then yeah, like after that, those those are the four guys who put up two plus four for that team, and then nobody else had more than one. Yeah, there's a guy, the, the guy who played third base named Chris Brown too. Yeah, or Chris Brown. That was that was the end of his career. He. Uh, I remember because he played high school baseball with Daryl Strawberry. Yeah, was L- there, uh, and, uh, Crenshaw, correct? Yeah, exactly. There was a movie about them or a book or something, and uh, I thought he was just as talented, maybe more talented than Daryl Strawberry. But he just have—I guess he was like super square, if you will. Like he was the opposite of those pet teams. Like he didn't—I don't know if he was like religious or whatever, but he just didn't like the professional baseball lifestyle. And like, I remember, I don't know, did he get like? Go to the disabled list with any dilate or something like that. But uh, yeah, he only played like 20 games for the Tigers. And then he was out of baseball at like 27, 28, working for Halliburton, driving gas trucks through Iraq during the second Iraq war. And then he died in house fires. It's kind of like a tragic, like a super talented guy. Just baseball wasn't for him. Yeah, it was really, and also what was strangely was his death was that he communicated to relatives that he'd been detained by robbers in where he was living at in Houston. And they, they brought him his home and they were, they tied him up and abandoned while robbers set his home ablaze. Yeah. So, it's just brutal. So, just uh, yeah. such a bummer. Shout out to Chris Brown. Yeah. Um, yeah. Him and Eric Davis, all of them were part of this great uh, generation of players that are playing out at, at Crenshaw. South Central. Yeah. Right. Rather. Yeah. But, um, 
Yeah, I mean, so some some of the, the familiar familiar names on that team. Dave Bergman was still sticking around. It, it's funny thinking. I think what did he hit? Uh, I wrote it down. Let's see, two sixty eight with seven home runs. And it's funny to think eighty nine. They replaced him. He was their primary first baseman hitting home runs. They replaced him with a central fielder who hit forty four more home runs than him the next year. It's like man, that's a that's a pretty good jump. Um, and I'd forgotten he he came over from where's from the Phillies. In yeah. the uh, in the in the Willie Hernandez trade for John Watkins, um, but yeah, Lemon was, was on his last leg. He played, and you mentioned Glenn, Gary Ward. These are all guys who are just like in their mid to late thirties and just just trying to find a team to play on. Yeah, I mean, you, you think Matt Noakes was on so Matt Noakes was on this team, but he was mm-hmm. kind of. But he didn't. He kind of was struggling because he didn't, he couldn't live up to what happened to him in '87. So he started struggling because mm-hmm. 1990 would be his final year with Detroit. And I remember that because it was kind of thought it was sudden. I really didn't. As a kid, I was like, "Well, Matt Noakes didn't thought of the name." But then after he left Detroit, he wouldn't put up 24 home runs with the Yankees in 1991. So something was going on there. But yeah. in terms of from an off, the, what I remember most about this team. From what I can remember, and then just or as soon as from a from a pitching standpoint, you look at the you look at the top three rotation. Frank Tanana at thirty five, Bill Alexander thirty eight years old, Jack Morris is thirty four, and your future is essentially Jeff Robinson, Kevin Ritz, and Brian DeBose, who was DeBose. Yeah, Paul Gibson. Yeah, he was a uh, pitching out of the bullpen, and then you had Steve Searcy. So this is where okay, so this is where the, you talk about the farm system trying to come in and step in and do their thing. So the Bulls they got from Baltimore, and he was he was part of the Keith. They got him over there earlier in the year from for Keith Moreland. But it was a young, it was a young pitcher. Like wow, they got the Tigers are trying to interject and do something because Steve Searcy, who they have a I think there's an award name after him at the University of Tennessee, he was drafted in the third round in the '85 draft. Came up in '88, didn't do anything. Came up in '89, didn't do anything. And he just didn't, the left, he just struggled. He never could get it together. And they just could not from, they had no help from the farm system. You talk about the Tigers, everybody, every now talks about how you look at Casey Mize and Tarek Subal as two somewhat effective. They, they were, they had their moments last year where they struggled a little bit, but Chris, to me, it is as, as, as much as I've watched, how much baseball I've watched throughout my lifetime to see the Tigers have, more than one pitching prospect pitch at the same time and good. I'm sorry. I mean, you look, I mean, think about it this way. Like you think about Justin Verlander, Justin Verlander was the, the first pitching prospect in a long time. You're like, thank you. Like Justin Thompson aside, but Justin Thompson also had injuries. There was always, there was always a, but you know what I mean? So the, yeah. I mean, I mean, there was Thompson and then there was Jeff Weaver briefly. And then, you know, we had hopes for Bonderman. But Verlander was the first one who was like, yeah, all right, this is legit. Like, and then uh, yeah, they had Zamaya the same year, too, but he was like a bullpen guy, so I know what you're saying. Yeah, it, it was a long time coming. It, 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 it just remember? And it just forgot with Sleeth and uh, people, all right? Right. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it eventually worked out for us. Yeah, it's nice to have that now. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm trying to remember. I, I, 89 just seems like a gross year. I remember like the 89 tops was kind of ugly. I, I think of uh, back in the 80s, I think of like the, the uh, you know, the baseball card sets. I'm trying to think. 87 tops had that big wood grain. 
Oh yeah, the blue green thing. Yeah. I feel like '89 was like. I don't know. I'd, I'd have to look at it, but I feel like they were like, like curly Q banner names and stuff. It was just not good. It was yeah, that, that weird white font with blue background on a lot of yeah, things. Let me see. Let me see. Let's see. Yeah, I know what you're see. talking about. Like, yeah, let me. Yeah, because while you looked that up, Chris, if you want to screen share, you can screen share too. By the way, just I didn't wanna, know I could do that. Yeah, you could. You should do. Yeah, you have that ability too. You should screen share. Do, do, do. Oh, there we go. Uh, oh, yeah, let me know where you find it. But get back to it, though. You you think about. The reason why I mentioned the whole pitching aspect of it all, Jack Morris, Dan Petrie were part of the within the two within a year or two of the same draft in that in this mid seventies. And that carried your rotation for almost 10 years, or pretty much 10 to 11 years. That is how hard. I mean, you look at like, for example, when the White Sox had Alex Hernandez, Jack McDowell, Jason Beret, that all came from the within organization. Like you, the reason why I mentioned that 80, the, the the White Sox teams is because that I remember when I was when I was a kid, and that was to me like it was a sound like wow like the, the, the it was kind of like when you started paying attention more and more to like farm systems and but it, it was touted because the White Sox had a bunch of p- pitching that was with their own Jack McDowell Alex Hernandez yeah and then later it was Jason Bray it was just this really good rotation like mid ninety three ninety four it comes out and all within and then you have and Wilson Alvarez sorry I couldn't think of the other guy Wilson Alvarez and Frank Thomas all bring up the farm system and it took forever the Tigers to even get to that point yeah did you find the card I did I, and I was trying to share the screen and then I put but whatever I, I was like there was the I remember the 89 set because there was a Gary Sheffield like rated rookie you could see his uh, like full teeth or whatever he had on this but uh, I'll try it again but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, that was probably the first year I remember baseball being really lousy. You know, it was just because uh, the Tigers were good for most of my youth until then. So there it is, Chris. What you can see it? Oh, you got it. Yeah. See, there's there. Is that, oh, look at. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. You can you can first of all the future star with like the RoboCop futuristic letters, <laughs> and and you can see yeah he's got like his name. In in his teeth or something like that, I remember his initials. I forget the great Larry Owen. Larry Owen, look at that. That dude is probably six years younger than us. <laughs> yeah, <let's... laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna look up who was Larry Owen, and I'm looking up in 1989 how old he was. Larry Owen is a white guy. I look at Greg Maddox. Look at this one. Look at that. That's a beautiful card right there. Thanks. Oh, this is another card too. I remember this is the '88 series. Like, actually, I, this is one of my. This is what I grew up on right here. Yeah, I remember '88. And, and, yeah, and Dom Ross had a really good clean look. Those were like those cards were really good. Let's see. So yeah, Larry Owen in 1989 was 34. 34 years old. Yep. Oh, that's Deion Sanders. Chris, look at this one. Oh yeah, I'm Stan. Yeah. But yeah, oh. I, I, for whatever reason, I, I just didn't find those ones terribly memorable. Although I couldn't tell you. Uh, I don't think that's a very good run there. It could like 88 through 90. 90, I don't even remember. It might have just been kind of. Holy crap. Look, 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 I just stumbled upon this. Look at this. Look at this 89 Tigers, or excuse me, Rangers team. Look at this. Kevin Brown, mm-hmm. Rafael Palmero, Kenny Rogers, Nolan Ryan, Jamie Moyer. You got Rick Leach, former Tiger. And Julio Franco, and there's Kevin Brown in Tiger Stadium. You could tell the background. You always could tell yeah. based off that blue background. 
that you were at Tiger Stadium. So, oh, that's crazy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And my favorite card right here. I've always wanted to kill Randy. Randy Johnson. I probably have. Probably have the 89 top set right in my other room for here. I've got all my old baseball cards for some reason. Also, my baseball cards. Um, and, uh, yeah. I'm just going to hang out and, until they eventually are worth millions of dollars again, probably. Yeah, the, those those cards are really kind of to me. Just bring it back a little bit. Those were what I mm-hmm. hey in my heyday, and then for whatever reason, Pogs came about, and my brother and I switched from baseball cards to Pogs <laughs> for like a year. I'm like, what the hell are we thinking? People, kids these days, they won't ever understand the boredom. I used to, no. I used to take. We had a set of like World Book encyclopedias, and I would set them up like an outfield wall. You know, I'd set them up on their end, still be like this, and uh, and I'd get like baseball cards and I put them out like they were a baseball position and I take tiddlywinks like little plastic chips yeah. and like like oh and it's caught by whomever and then I was like oh well, there's too much grass here like I you know just whatever you could do to keep yourself busy now there's a billion different things to do they'll never understand they no, can go no. online and go get free porn whenever they want it used to be a struggle <laughs> I remember we we did, did I ever tell this on the I must have told this on the on the podcast before we uh, we used to play wiffle ball every day. Our backyard in Ypsilanti was the perfect wiffle ball field. We had like we measured it out. We had lines. We had different areas where you could hit home runs. And our next door neighbor, their house uh, eventually became a crack house. Like five years after we left or whatever. But before then, they, they always their garage door open. It was just always open, and there was the old like an old chip in there or whatever. And one of them hit a foul ball into their garage and discovered a stack of Playboys like higher than a kid. <laughs> and so we went, we went and, you know, we were like operation, like steal one playboy, hop over the fence, take one, like in the middle of the night and, and enjoy it. And by like a week later, we had taken them all like brazenly going over there during the day. And, uh, yeah, we ended up in the plastic bag that we buried like around town several different times. <laughs> See, this is what they had to deal with. Like this yeah. is, this is, oh, this is our right here. Damn it. Yeah, we had to use our imaginations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank mm-hmm. you, Tumblr. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Spice so, TV. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. The kids so. they don't understand with the baseball card. <laughs> one last thing before we go, the one <laughs> you talk about, like the on my way to Florida, we always drove to Florida. We never, we only took the plane once, and we would be either the first time I went was in a 1983 Chevy Caprice wagon. Mm-hmm. So my older brother was the only one that had to like the tape player and I didn't. And my brother, my younger brother, my younger brother was sat between my mom and my dad or right in the, in the middle, the front seat. And I sat all the way in the back. Cause these old Caprice wagons had like a plastic seat. We could sit all the way in the back. It's really cool. Yeah. Now it would be considered highly dangerous considering the car was a death trap, but I didn't know that then anyway, <laughs> the good of not knowing. But so when I got older though, when I started like, Playing little league and everything, I started. I would get bored, and we had game. I mean, my brother had a Game Boy, and then I I, I lost mine. So the entire road trip down was twenty four hours or something like that. And stuck at this ninety two tempo. I made up a whole entire fake baseball league with players, fake names, you name it. I went like it was like the the notebook was filled, like twenty six, twenty seven pages of just intricate notes of like where the the or like origin of the team and why they came about it was all cities that lived in, mm-hmm. in around me yeah 
And I that, I, yeah. go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I, I remember when I made like, I would make fake leagues too. I would write like a fake soccer league. I'm like, right, here's where the teams are going to be. These are the divisions. We're going to have soccer. And then I was like, ah, here's soccer. But yeah, they, just the things we would do to, we used to talk, you know, before the video games would keep your stats for you. We'd keep them ourselves. Yeah. Just, Super you know. Mega Baseball 2020. There's some, st- there's somewhere in some, uh, probably, well, it's probably recycled by now, but there's some infill. There is a notebook full of Super Baseball 2020 stats from Genesis somewhere. With my name. Uh, I just started playing this Retro Bowl. Have you seen this? No. Can you see it? Oh yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah my brother-in-law told me about that game. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It looks like uh, it looks like Tecmo Bowl, but uh, yeah, uh, it's pretty anyway. cool. Baseball Tigers go sign somebody. Yeah, there we go. It's, uh, we've got a snowstorm, but spring training's like six weeks from now. Oh man, I was gonna say I looked out because I'm like, oh, should I take my? Oh, never mind. I'm not gonna do my walk today. But at any rate, so follow us on Twitter at Rajcast Baseball and Chris Brown 0914. If anything changes, we'll let you know. If there's any signings, what have you? But I, I, it's it's dark and depressing at this moment. But either way, there is. If there's some baseball news that breaks out, there will be a 2014 draft class recap. As I look over the 2014 draft class, they'll be coming out. Today, another piece coming out over. So, follow our work at MotorCityBagels.com and we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Hopefully, next week we'll have some. I think we're going to do an interview next week. I think we're going to talk to a fellow fan sider, but I got to nail down the interview and all that stuff. But it's been a while since we've had a guest. Actually, this has been, it's been like a month since we have a guest, month, month and a half, maybe. Uh, who do we do? We have anybody after uh, Barton Smith? No, we had anybody. No. No, I don't think so. Yeah. So we stopped we stopped with the PhD. Yeah. And also, by the way, National Hat Day today. So there's good deals at hats across the board. Chris went with more of the hipster look. I went with the Charlotte. <laughs> I have the Charlotte Knights, but they this is when they were the Hornets back in 1969. Nice. And oh, nice. yeah, so Charlotte, Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, the Charlotte Hornets. And I got that. And then today I got the Lansing lug nuts and the national sounds. And I got a new mud heads cap because now with my hair being, I have the pandemic hair. My hat what size went from seven, three, fours to seven, seven, eights. And I went to go get a sugar Kings hat, the Havana sugar Kings, but they were sold out like that. Oh, bummer. So. Yeah. Bummer. At any rate, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. If you're watching us on YouTube and leave us a comment, leave us a review. Let us know what you think until then. We'll see you next time. See you.